Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hey, everybody. It's John from The Roadcast. On this week's interview episode, we have Bracken Darrell, the CEO of Logitech. I'm really interested in talking to the people who run companies that are important, but we don't think about. Logitech is absolutely one of those companies. They make so many peripherals that we all depend on. They own blue microphones. They own ultimate ears. They make the boom speakers. They make great headphones. They just bought a company called Streamlabs, which is basically the, the software product that half of the world's Twitch streamers use to get on Twitch and other services. This is a company that owns a substantial chunk of our user experience. They've been growing. They're doing really well. Bragg and I talked about how he structures the company how he thinks about acquisitions. We talked about how he thinks of his divisions as startups and what the future is for a company that has to connect to platforms that seem like they're getting more and more closed over time. One thing that's true about this conversation, I just want to point it out, Brack and I talked a while ago, but then they announced the acquisition of Streamlabs, so we called him up again, talk about that. Around 10 minutes in, you'll notice the audio shift ever so slightly. Shouldn't be a big deal. It's there. Just want to be transparent about it. But check it out. This is Brack and Daryl, CEO of Logitech. Bracken Darrell, the CEO of, uh, and president of Logitech. Welcome to the Vergecast. Hey, thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming on. You know, I, I, I go and make lists of people I'd like to talk to. And one thing that's always really interesting to me is companies that are just sort of the fabric of computing that really don't get moment like big flashy moments. And Logitech is just like one of those companies at the top of my list. Everybody has Logitech stuff. Everybody has a relationship with Logitech or has had something from Logitech in the past. Um, and it's so interesting to talk to you about where the company has been, where it's going, what you want to do next. So thank you for coming on. I'm, I'm really curious how you see the scope of Logitech. Well, I, 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 you tell me when you want me to jump into that. But I'm, it's really an honor to be part of Logitech for the reason you described. You know, it's amazing to me. Uh, how often somebody will say, oh, what, do you, what do you do? And I say, I work at Logitech. And they'll say, Logitech? They'll say, you know, mice and keyboards. They'll say, oh, yeah, I've got, <laughs> I've got a, one of your keyboards and mice. I love them. You know? So it, is a, it has been part of the fabric of computing since 1981, October 2nd to be exact. But we've always been this kind of soft-spoken but hardworking brand that makes, uh, humbly, makes great products. And, and, and people appreciate that. So I'm really proud to be here. So you've been there for, what, six, seven years? It'll be eight years in April. Oh wow! And you were not—you were not immediately the CEO. You came in as president. You became the CEO later. That's right. I came in. It was—it was an agreement that I would be, but I, I came in really so I could completely focus on product for the first year. So I did nothing but, almost nothing but sit there and go through, uh, product review after product review. You know, two days a week, three days a week, and uh, and then at the end of that year, I, I went—I became the CEO. But my the, the guy who was the CEO has been my chairman ever since. So we've been business partners for for eight years, almost eight years. So. 
when you come into Logitech, you're looking at the product roadmap. You're looking at what you've got in market. What are the what are the challenges you faced? Where have you taken it? It just seems like the market for PC accessories, which is what I think most people think of Logitech as mice and keyboards, that's growing. And I want to talk about some of the gaming stuff you guys are doing, but. You're in a bunch of other markets now. You've made some big acquisitions. I have a Blue Yeti microphone that I used to podcast with Yay. when I'm on the road. Um, I had Ultimate Ears headphones. Y- right. You're in all these other spaces. What was the kind of change you, you wanted to bring to the company over the past, I guess, eight years now? When I came to the company, uh, it was kind of a dark time. It was the end of a four-year period where you know, the PC, this was when the iPad had launched, the PC had started to decline, and everybody was sort of writing the epitaph for, for Logitech, you know, and we were try we had tried a few new things and we were learning how to do them. And we, and you know, you, you usually learn by making some mistakes. So luckily, uh, the collective learning of the company and those mistake areas happened before I got here. So I got to learn from them. So I, I came into a really tough period. I mean, our stock price was, it was about $8 when I got here after my first year of working on all those products, I managed to get it all the way down to six twenty four. So I went down my first year, which is you know not exactly great for my reputation or my confidence, but it was what it was. You know our revenues declined that that first year down. I, I, again, it got worse from when I got here. Where the second year decline and and our profit was uh, hold on to your hat here a negative two hundred plus million dollars. So it was not a good uh, good period. So so when I came in, that's where we were, and and so people were still calling us the PC peripherals brand or company inside the company and outside because that really was our strategy. So. I came here because I was super excited about using design to serially enter new things. And that's what that was our new strategy. So I can pause here and then kind of finish the story. Where have we gone from then? But but yeah, we were really a PC peripherals brand in the beginning and we needed to be more. So how do you think about being more? I mean, I think a lot about the accessory ecosystems primarily around phones. Rich Cast listeners will tell you I'm like obsessed with it. You know, Apple yep. removed the headphone jack, which I get made fun of a lot of for pointing out over and over again. But that was sort of the last untaxed hardware connector on the phone, right? The lightning connector, has, there's a whole accessory program. Apple charges a tax. Um, their headphone ecosystem now, there's sort of like, you know, Apple's got its chip that gives it special advantages. You can't get that. But then, obviously, there's Bluetooth, which has pluses, minuses. But there, as you try to build accessories around these products, it seems like manufacturers are pulling that stuff in a little bit tighter. And so as you expand your range, you expand your scope, how do you, how do you kind of navigate that growth as these ecosystems get a little bit more locked down? Well, you know, it's funny. When, we, when I started, it, the, the, the key partners we had were, were Apple, Microsoft, and the PC makers, you know. And, so, and, and as you just described, in the early days, I think the, the view was, wait, where do we go from here? We go into being the accessory. We'll be the, the Logitech of, of mobility, a Logitech of, of the cell phone. We'll surround the cell phone with phone cases and who knows what. And that was the very first set of steps we made. We, we actually uh, we took our ultimate ears. We created a, a Bluetooth speaker. We used the design that I love to build a Bluetooth speaker that was turtle, the first cylindrical Bluetooth speaker so everybody could sit around it. We made it water-resistant and later waterproof. And we were off to the races. We were in a new category. So that was the early days. But but along the path, maybe in the second year, a light went on for us, which was, wait a minute, we're thinking too narrowly again. You know, we're not the PC. We're not the Logitech of PC. We're not the Logitech of mobility. 
with a Logitech of anything people want to, to interact with in the in the, the computing device. And the computing device is not just mobile and it's not just on your desk, it's also in the cloud. So we decided we're going to be the Logitech of, we're going to be cloud peripheral company. And so we, we really reconceptualized how we thought. That suddenly opened up a whole lot of other things. We said, man, we could, anything that, that, that's, that's uh, hosted on the cloud, we can be a peripheral for it. And so that's that led us back into the gaming space where we'd always been. And, you know, yeah, it's a mouse and, key, mouse and a keyboard, but it's a very different set of dynamics. So we got excited about that business. We got into video conferencing because we said, gosh, you know, if you, you know, really, what do you need? You need your computing power and, and, the, and the primary computers in the cloud and the services are moving to the cloud. So why can't we make the equipment you use in a room, the interface for video conferencing? And so we got into that and. And roll forward now, you know, it's really interesting. So eight years in, we now video enable more rooms than the biggest, the two biggest players combined. I mean, we're, we're, we're coming at it from the bottom, so at a much lower price point. With, uh, but, but we can offer any size room now. So, so this is really where we're headed now. We're, we're going to be able to peripheralize a whole lot of things. And, and we may even do that a little beyond uh, hardware and maybe even pure software. But you just bought a company called Streamlabs. I think it's $89 million is the number yes. in front of me. That's a, that's a big investment. Uh, what attracts you to Streamlabs? Well, you know, we we love this world, as we've already kind of talked about. We love this world of uh, the democratization of content creation. You know, we, we already kind of referred to this period when, you know, when I was growing up, when, you know, NBC and Disney and all these other big companies beamed things through your living room right into your eyes and they controlled the content. And you were the viewer. Today, uh, content is created by millions of people and it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. And so this is an area that we think with blue microphones, like the one sitting in front of me, our webcams, like the one sitting in front of me, our keyboards and our mice, you know, we, we belong in this space. We've been pulled into the space by, by, by uh, people who are creating that content. And now we're going one step further. And, and uh, Streamlabs is, the, is really the leading player in enabling, especially gamers who wanted to stream to make money doing it, or at least have fun doing it. And so it's a great fit for what we're up to. So that really connects to, right, like a platform like Twitch. How do you think about your relation? I mean, yep, you've got the setup, you've got all the hardware, you've got the gaming PC, you've got the microphone, the headset, the camera. Now you've got the software solution. The next piece of it is obviously, yep, there's Twitch, which uh, is owned by Amazon. I doubt they will sell it to you. Uh, like you can't integrate into that part of the stack. Are you thinking about, hey, we should build a competitor to Twitch. Hey, we should make it more efficient to use Twitch. Hey, there are... There are other platforms like Microsoft's Mixer that, you know, maybe you know Ninja just went over. Maybe some people are going to be interested in that. We should be more collaborative across platforms. How are you thinking about the future of you own this part of the stack, but the, the distribution side seems very different? Well, we offered the $89 million that we that we that were going to pay for Streamlabs to Amazon to buy Twitch, but they, they didn't think <laughs> that was enough. Jeff Bezos was like, I got that in my boat. I don't, yeah. I don't need this. <laughs> I, think, I think they didn't yeah. need that. Uh, yeah, so so the the answer is to us. This is this may feel like a leaf to you, but it feels really the same to us. Where you know our our mice, for example, uh, connect to iOS. They connect to you know the Microsoft operating system. They connect to the Google Android operating system. So we've always been in this business of really supporting these large players and, and supporting their platforms and really trying to enable their platforms to do more. So when we looked at Streamlabs, we thought, God, this is another great example of that. They're basically 45% of the people who are going on to Twitch. And, and the primary way Twitch makes money is through advertising. And, and what they want is they want more people creating content that people come to watch on there. So what they're basically doing, Streamlabs, is, is creating something that's supporting the platform of Twitch. 
And of course, they can also support all the other platforms. And so, including YouTube. And so we like that. We really like that space. We feel like it's kind of comfortably at home for us, although it's not hardware. It's comfortably at home for us in terms of really supporting multiple platforms, other platforms, and and it really works. So you got to, I mean, you talk about, okay, you're a gamer. You've got this ecosystem of hardware that Logitech makes. Now you've got a, a software product that's important to a lot of them. We also talked about how all these are different brands, different startups, if you will, inside of Logitech. They like have their own maps. This feels like this could be an integrated offering, right? Where you're, you're you could you could sell it as a kit, right? Here's the streaming kit, software bundle of products. Is that stuff going to get more integrated? Are you going to get more out of a blue microphone if you run Streamlabs? Are you going to get more out of the the gaming peripherals if if you use uh, one of your headsets? Like, do you see that kind of value building out of having it all? Well, you know, it's possible, but I think the more the, the more likely path for us is we want uh, Streamlabs to be successful in its own right. And so to be successful in its own right, it needs to work really well with everything. I mean, it, whether it's a, a competitor to us in our microphone business or our headphone business, we want you to, whatever you, whatever brands you believe in, you love, you feel like they're part of you, we want you to be able to come into Streamlabs and have a, an amazing experience. So I don't want to disadvantage, I would never want to disadvantage some other brand's product portfolio in using Streamlabs. But if there are things we could do that make the experience better, we'll certainly try to go after them. But I hope that if we do that, we'll also try to make them better for everything. And then the other kind of big piece of it is you're not attached to every PC in the world, so that's you could still grow. But the overall PC market is changing a lot. Microsoft just announced a bunch of new PCs, one of which runs Android. Uh, the other one runs an ARM processor. Like the shape of PCs is like obviously changing. Are you saying, okay, there's enough people streaming games on a PC that want the setup, that wants the Twitch experience, that want to be part of the creator community, that we can accelerate into that even as sort of the broader PC market's changing? You know, we've been in this broader PC's market's changing since 2008, you know, where it, it went from, you know, the PC market grew and grew and grew and grew, and then it suddenly went flat, and then it started to decline, and, and iPads were suddenly going to be huge, and then they kind of slowed down, and then it was going to all go mobile, and then that sort of is happening, but it's not doesn't seem to be interacting. And then the PC's real stabilized, and it's kind of growing again. Pause. Our view of the world is, you know, we've got lots of things to do for people who want to uh, interact with things that are sitting in the cloud. Most of what we're talking about is actually not sitting on a PC or on somebody's phone. It's actually happening at the cloud. And it's somewhere in a servers, you know, where, where millions of people can access. It can be updated all the time. And there's lots of capacity and lots of new things to do. So our general view of the world is all the, the hardware or the, including the, the, what is a PC will keep changing just like they've been changing since 1976 or 75, um, what we're going to do is try to enable and be a cloud peripherals company, whether it's hardware or in case of Streamlabs, a service for software that, that enables you to have a great experience. And I think that will just always be changing, but we'll have lots of opportunities underneath that. So I'll go through some mechanics of just uh, an acquisition like Streamlab. How did, it, how did it come together? You approach them, they approach you, you, you noticed a bunch of your people are using their software. What's the genesis of a deal like that? Well, you know, we, we've worked with uh, everybody who does things like Streamlabs does. And so we've kind of been working quite, uh, with those companies for the last you know few years. We worked a lot directly with Streamlabs. And we really liked the team. We loved the two founders that we got to know. Uh, we thought they were just super smart, great people. And, and we were impressed by what they've been able to do, impressed by the, their agility and kind of speed. And so as we got to know them, um, and we're always looking at things we could be doing beyond the categories we're in. 
you know, it generated a discussion that that started between me and and the and you, Justice I, who runs gaming, and then I brought in the, our head of uh, M and A. It makes it sound like a really big company. Our M and A department is three people, and so we it started this discussion with us, and then we said, you know, could this work? And then we talked to Ali about it. He said, you know, we don't really want to sell, but but if we if we did want to sell to anybody, it'd be somebody like you, where you, know, you really leave us alone to be our own business inside a business where you can clear the decks and enable us not to have to raise more money all the time and and really maybe give us advantages we couldn't have another way. So that's really how it went down. And then you get into the discussion around how much do you pay and all that stuff. And that's always the 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 the, the steps that just naturally MA goes through. But but I'd say that was it. And uh, and it started it started with culturally, does this look like a pretty good fit? How many how and many how many folks do they have? They have about ninety people. They're they're in both San Francisco and Vancouver, and they're going to stay put in their offices. Absolutely, We're, they're staying right where they are. From a consumer perspective, what changes should you see, sort of short, medium, long term? Well, I hope you don't see anything short term because it's uh, we think what they're doing is great. They've got really cool roadmap that we believe in, and, and we're going to support it financially and uh, and and kind of with any expertise we can bring to the table. Uh, medium and long term, I, I think will remains to be seen. You know, it's a they're a startup that is growing rapidly and pivoting and moving in a couple different directions. And we're gonna so I think you will naturally see Streamlabs do more things. But I wouldn't relate that directly to us. I think we're about really trying to be part of this ecosystem and make the the gaming and the streaming experience better and better and available to more and more people in a super easy way. And so I don't have anything specific to say, except that, you know, I think they were doing great stuff and I hope we'll do a lot of great stuff together in the future. You mentioned support the roadmap financially. Often, you know, the, the larger company comes and buys a startup and says, we're just going to fund your roadmap. We're just going to go for yeah. it. You can go a lot faster than you were before. Was that one of the promises you made or you think they're operating through at speed? You know, actually, they were really well funded. I mean, I, I brought, I, I said it, not you, but but they were, they had a whole bunch of cash sitting on their uh, in their bank, you know, waiting for them to do what they needed to do. So <laughs> they didn't really need us. I mean, they they really did it because they said, you know what, we we're, we're thinking long term, and we like the way you guys are thinking, and you're really interested in in enabling uh, streamers to either to at least have a lot of fun and be and for it to be easy and maybe to make money and make a living doing it. So, so we were, we were both had a very similar point of view on this. And I think that was probably more important than the funding of their roadmap. Uh, but, but I do think it, when you stretch it out longer, you, you know, if you're, if you're in the a startup that does need money, you know, certainly we will, we want to make sure that they're well-funded and they're not there having to, especially the, the people who are running the business aren't out there trying to raise money all the time. But when I, I've met with probably like you have, I've met with probably thousands and thousands of founders and it's just, breaks my heart sometimes most of the time when I realize that, you know, these founders have this huge passion for their business, like in their case, streaming and are broadcasting. And, and then you realize actually they're spending 60% of their time talking to venture capitalists and angels and trying to sell their story and 20 or 40, 20% of their time. I know the math doesn't work, but I'll get to the other 20 in a minute, you know, really doing what they love. And then the other 20% is administering the business in ways that maybe we can help. So hopefully this will get them to 80 or a hundred percent of the time doing what they're really excited about and love. You don't really see that with the software business as much. With a software business, you know, you don't have inventory on the shelf. So, like, this is your first software business. Uh, it's a, it's an expansion for you, maybe not conceptually, but it's certainly an expansion in a different ecosystem, a different economy. How are you thinking about? Okay, can, we can change the way we operate now that we're shipping software and not hardware. Well, the most important thing we're that we need to be doing is learning. 
because you know, Ali and, and his brother, the, these two guys have a lot more to teach us than we have to teach them. So we're going into this with our eyes wide open, trying to make sure we learn. I, I keep looking on the shelf trying to see Streamlabs and it's not there. You know, so so there's a there's nothing to see on the shelf because it's not. You're not going to ship some CD-ROMs. We're not stri- we're not <laughs> shipping more more Streamlabs. You know, yeah. so so we, you know, kidding aside, we're we're here to learn, and and they've got a lot to teach us, and and we're going to be uh, look more and more like this across most of our business. We've launched we have launched software only products. You know, we're Logitech Capture, which is a an editing software for for things like what we're doing right now, video creation and content creation. So we're, we're increasingly getting into that space. And, uh, and I think we've got a lot to learn from them and, and, uh, and, and no inventory to carry, which we like. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's why people like making software. Yeah. Is there more software in your future? Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, we're probably, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but we're probably hiring software engineers, you know, two to one over hardware engineers. Now we still love hardware, but we're doing a lot of software and, and increasingly we'll be doing services. So yeah, there, there'll be a, there's a lot more software in our future. But like consumer software products, not like Streamlabs, not software to support the hardware. Yes, exactly. Not, not just firmware. I mean, real software. And in our B2B business, which we haven't talked about, we're, you know, we're in the video conferencing equipment business there, but we're doing a lot of software there too. We're writing software now where an IT department can actually track all the devices and all the rooms that they have and, and kind of know what usage looks like. And we've got, AI built into those that's that's somewhere between firmware and, and, and traditional software. But yeah, we're doing more and more and you'll see a lot more software from us in our future over the next decade. So one thing I hear a lot, uh, you know, we cover a huge range of companies. We obviously cover the big companies. We're really interested in small companies, especially small hardware companies. And we watch them come up. We watch them try to succeed. We watch a lot of, I'm, I'm a sucker for direct-to-consumer car chargers on Instagram. It's like, uh, they're all targeted right at me because I'll buy every single one. Um, and then we watch them collapse, right? They don't have the scale. The manufacturing is yeah. too hard. Um, you know, Updating a hardware product after it's designed and you go out and get feedback is, is really difficult. What's kept you above water? Is it just you've got one business that's pretty good and you can try all these other ones? Is it people trust your brand? What keeps you out of the sort of rocky hardware world where we, we see so many other people just fail to get the scale and either have to sell themselves or just collapse. Well, you know, so we, we've gone from whatever, when I got here, eight or nine categories to 27 now. So we're in 27 distinct categories, right? So first of all, we've got a portfolio and that portfolio is across a lot of different things. And some of them are stable. Some of them are slightly declining. Some of them are super high growth. So we've got that whole world of small company uh, hardware that startups that you described is sitting inside our company. We also run our business that way. So each of the individual businesses operate almost like small companies. And when we, when we do buy something like you described earlier, they are literally a small company. They come in. We also create new businesses by hiring former entrepreneurs and putting them in charge of, thing, of something new that we're not in yet or that we don't even, the category doesn't even exist yet. And we protect them and we keep them, we keep them quiet. We give them just enough resources, a lot less than a venture capitalist does. And we say, <laughs> let's go, let's try to create something. So we've got, we're doing all that, you know, and that's all inside our four walls. Where the, where the typical hardware startup trips up is the same place that, that anybody in hardware does. It's, it's, it's really the supply chain. So the supply chain starts with, the, you know, I need a certain component from a supplier. 
And usually if you're small, even if you're not, you have to make a six month commitment to that. And then you've got somebody making it for you. So there's work and process inventory in the factory. And then it's got to be transported to a boat or to the plane. And then it's got to make it over here. And then it's going to go into a Best Buy or Amazon into a warehouse. And then it's going to get a consumer's home. And during the early growth phase, it's really exciting because all everybody wants to give you money. Every venture capitalist is interested. You've got high growth. This is really sexy. Hopefully your gross margins are good. So all that feels and looks a lot like the typical startup in software space where it all changes and the music stops and you've got to find a chair as fast as possible is when the growth trajectory lowers. That's the dark moment. Because when that growth trajectory lowers, that inventory you've got sitting throughout that chain, especially as it gets closer and closer to the customer, it ends up being a whole lot of times worth of inventory. And, and then suddenly you need money. And then you go back to those same people who are so happy to give it to you before. But I just need money because actually my growth is slowing and I've got a whole lot of inventory out there. They don't want to give you money anymore. And so the music's really stopped and there's not even a single chair there and you have to sit on the floor and, the, and it's over. And that's, we've seen this so many times and I've probably met with three or 4,000 entrepreneurs since I've been in this job. I spend more time with uh, founders than I do with my peers by a factor of a hundred or a thousand maybe. And, uh, and I love them, you know, and, and I, and when they start to get in trouble, I, you know, we've, we've bought companies that were in trouble at times. Some, we, some were in great shape, but it's a, it's a tough road hardware. So I'm looking at sort of the market of hardware startups and you're saying you bring in entrepreneurs, you give them, you know, startup like protection. You say, okay, go make a business. You've got divisions of your company. You're saying you run them like a business. But I look at sort of the, the explosion of direct consumer hardware startups, uh, even medium-sized startups that we really like, like Eero. They just like had to go to Amazon. They just had to sell themselves to Amazon. They didn't have a choice. How do you keep inside of Logitech, besides just saying, we got your back, don't worry about it, we're, we're better at supply chain stuff and we can write it out, how do, you keep, how do you keep that curve going inside of the company for your individual startups that you're, you're incubating? Well, first, we're, we're choiceful about where we play. We really try hard not to compete with those really big players, you know, where we can. Because, you know, it's so much easier to win when you're fighting somebody who's much smaller than you are. <laughs> so we tend not to be in battles where directly with, you know, Apple and Google. And, it, you know, it's just not our, that's not a choice we make. And often the startups have made that choice. And even if they didn't mean to in the beginning, that that's what it turned into. So it's, uh, so first of all, try not to be in that fight. Um, the second one is, you know, one of the reasons they, they get in trouble is because they're, they're usually uh, burning cash, right? That's the way it works. You know, you, you, you burn cash, you invest, 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 and at some point you, the lights go on and everything's working. And in a great case scenario like Beats or, or uh, GoPro, you know, you just, it, it's all, everything's great. You know, we, we, on the other hand, can really protect that and we, we can burn cash on businesses for a long time. And, and uh, we, we balance that portfolio so we can give people, we can give a founder or a, a, somebody running a new business, real room and time and patience. And we are. We're super patient, maybe too patient sometimes. So I think that's probably the big difference. We're, we can protect them from the market dynamic of having to raise money. So give me, uh, walk you through an example. So you bought Ultimate Ears when Ultimate Ears was independent. I was a huge Ultimate Ears fan. This is why hearing was better. But I was a huge <laughs> Ultimate Ears fan. I had their, you know, their fancy in-ear headphones. You buy them. You know, now they're a, a mass market consumer brand. They used to be a pretty high end headphone brand, and then they put out the boom. They, they've really changed the, the you know the category of Bluetooth speakers. What was that process like? Yeah, it started uh, very early days. You know, in, in my er, my first year here, with the Bluetooth speaker category was working. We were, we had a small team that was trying to figure out how can we enter that category. 
And then what did we do? We did exactly what everybody else does. We created a, we, we tried to make a Bluetooth speaker that had good connectivity and sounded better. And, and I think on our, we were about on our third or fourth one. And then we were at the, this, as I said, you know, I'm a design nut. And, and we luckily, you know, the, the team was working on it said, you know, we need to, we need to look at this differently. What, let's put the consumer in the middle of this. Uh, sounds obvious, but, but we did. And so when they did that, we said, okay, where are they going to be using it? How are they going to be using it? Okay, it's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting across from your sound engineer who's holding a microphone right in front of my face. And imagine Krista sitting on the other side of us. So we're a little triangle. That's the typical group that early days that was listening to, to Bluetooth speakers. So there were three of us sitting around in a circle. Take one of those boxy little things that was out there at the time and, and that we made too and stick it in the middle of the table and somebody's sitting on the edge, you know, whether you literally can't hear it as well or you feel like you don't hear it as well. You weren't, it, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't fair. You know, somebody got left out. So we said, it's got to be a cylinder. And of course, our engineering team said that would be impossible. We won't be able to do good acoustics. <laughs> so, uh, okay, well, we're going to have to do it. So we spent the time, we made it into a cylinder and that cylinder was inaccessible, equal opportunity from all sides. And that was, that was really the breakthrough in design. And then we made it water, uh, you know, waterproof and all those things that we knew they were going to be sitting next to the pool. Occasionally it might get knocked in. It'd be cool if you could actually throw it in, which of course you can. So, so that, that was the process. And, and once we had the product figured out, we were lucky that we had the Ultimate Ears brand and that incredible heritage you mentioned, which is still amazing. I mean, and, and so unknown. We've done a terrible job of telling everybody about it, but it is really amazing. And I'm happy to tell you on this, on this call, but I won't do that. It's not an advertisement. But, but, you know, having that pedigree and having that, that little secret behind the scenes that we could bring into the brand was, was really a luxury. And, and it did come through an acquisition. But the building, of the, the building of the business, the building of the product was really organic. So that is you acquire Ultimate Ears. And then you say, we need to enter this category. Do you just task that team with doing it and you're overlooking it? Or are you all sitting around saying, how do we grow the ultimate ears business? Uh, in that case, we really were saying, boy, we really want to be in this category. So team, go make it happen. You know, And uh, luckily, we had a great team. Um, and they made it happen. And we went from zero to you know two hundred two hundred plus million dollar business. And so now, and so Ultimate Ears is now its own division of of Logitech. Yeah, I mean that is really a standalone business, and it's uh, you know it's almost eight years in. So they've done a they've done a great job, and the Ultimate Ears brand still has a lot of potential. You know the we've we've barely scratched the surface in the earphone space. You know we still are the leader by far in the in the ear monitors that you know people like, uh, and I won't mention names because I don't think we legally can, but let's just say. A lot of big name people who get on stage, you see wearing something in their ear or wearing ultimate ears. And, you know, one of them told me one day, uh, just a wonderful story. He said, I said, why do you like them so much? He said, you know, I'm, he said, this is my life. You know, I'm getting ready all day for, to perform on stage and I can hear the crowd out there and I'm about to walk out and I put my ultimate ears in and it's my world. And I'll never forget that. I thought, God, it's so powerful. So we still haven't unleashed the power of the Ultimate Ears brand into other categories, which I think we can. So, I mean, that, that raises that question, right? Like, obviously, the world has moved to Bluetooth headphones and Bluetooth audio. The market for headphones, depending on how you look at it, it's either huge or it's been destroyed by AirPods, right? Like, it's one or the other. <laughs> I can't tell you which one it is. How, how are you looking at it? I think it's huge and it's just expanding. It's so fast. And the AirPods are a magnificent gift to humanity. They're helping us realize the future of uh, always in, always on computing directly in your ear. And that's a wonderful thing to do. And it will open up new vertical applications within it, new broad scale applications like AirPods. 
in a variety of price points and an almost unlimited number of brands. And this is very early days, so it's great. But so that to me is like the the problem, right? Is AirPods are great, and you know there's all kinds of new. I don't think they sound any good, but they're they're super convenient. People love them. But if I wanted to come to you and say, okay, I want ultimate ears, truly wireless ultimate ears headphones, uh, but I want them to work just like AirPods. I want them to have Hey Siri. I want them to connect just as fast. You're kind of limited in what the platform allows you to do now as the companies start to integrate. Or is that something that you perceive as as much of a problem as I do as just somebody who wants to spend dollars on something that sounds better? Or is that a different kind of opportunity? You know, I think it's a different kind of opportunity. And, you know, I, I don't have anything to say too much about that right now. I just say we're always working on, on spaces around uh, all the categories we're in. And that's a very interesting space. And I think there's plenty of room to innovate. You know, I think it's not just for us, but for lots of companies. You know, I, it's funny, you know, when, when back in, uh, now I'm going to date myself, but back in 2000-ish, I was working at, at General Electric at the time. Remember that company, GE? Yeah. Uh, and I was, and I, and at the time I thought, you know, man, there is just nothing left to do. I mean, it, you know, the, the dot-com bubble had burst or was bursting and it seemed like GE was just getting into everything. And I thought, you know, there's no room for entrepreneurship anymore. Nobody can, nobody can get it. All these big companies are going to do everything, you know? And I think sometimes people look at this now and they say, oh my God, Amazon and Apple, and they're just soaking up all the opportunity. That's always wrong. You know, there's always new opportunity. There's always a way to innovate. Any small group of, t- of people can come up with a product that's better than what's already out there. You're right that you run into limitations, platform limitations, but usually you can work around those two or find a space around there where it's not as relevant. So I think there's just uh, a tremendous number of opportunities even around that specific space. And I think you're going to see them come if they're not already. Uh, I think you're going to see them come soon, but certainly over the next few years. I want to talk about your kind of I think it's your most recent acquisition, which is Blue Microphones. That's right, with the famous Blue Yeti. Yeah. Just walk me through that. I mean, obviously, they're a hugely popular company. You're on a podcast right now. Like Podcasts are exploding. Were you like, we just need to be the peripheral for everybody doing a podcast? Was there, is there a bigger strategy? Or are you going to accelerate them in other categories? What, what's the thinking there? Yeah, it's, it, there's always a bigger strategy for us. So so the strategy was really simple. We, we said, God, you know, we're lit. We're here, and everybody wants to be. Uh, everybody's talking about steam, you know. Since I'm an art, I mean, a, a, a design kind of guy, so steam, you know, mm-hmm. science, technology, engineering, math, and the arts, you know. So everybody's talking about that, and everybody's talking about you need to be coding, and, and you do. I mean, for all those kids out there listening, please take coding classes. What's the counter thing to that? What is it? It's it's the other side of it, which is actually everybody wants to be a YouTuber. Everybody yeah. wants to be streaming themselves <laughs> playing games. Everybody wants an audience. You know, so 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 that's a very interesting place to go, you know, for us. So as we as we started to really think about that, we thought, God, you know, actually we're already in this. I mean, our webcams are used all the time for this. People use a mouse and keyboard if they're sitting at a desk to, while they're streaming. If they're playing a gaming online, they're streaming themselves gaming. Obviously they're using our products for the market leader and in the peripherals for gaming. So where else should we be in that space? And then we got we said, you know, we started developing a seed, we called it, an internal startup on microphones. As we go into these internal startups, we have a very passionate team working on it. We said, yeah, you know what? We, then we start to always look around outside and say, what's out there that could either accelerate or differentiate what we're doing? And we, we looked at Blue, and then it was owned by a private equity firm, but run by a really passionate team. The CEO was a drummer. And so we, they got in touch with us, we got in touch with them, and we fell in love, and we ended up getting something done, and now they're part of us, you know, and that's the way it worked. And it's a, it's a phenomenal addition to our company, and it, it signals that we believe in 
the democratization of content. And we want to enable all those millions of people out there who want to be YouTubers on some level or Instagrammers or, or whatever. And, and so this is a space we think we belong in. So when you talk about, you know, there's always a larger strategy. What does that look like for Blue? Because, I mean, they do make, you know, the Snowball and the Yeti. And there's a new Yeti with, you know, an LED meter on the front, which is sitting on our one of our desks over there. And I think it looks really cool. But, <laughs> like, how do you make that category as big as we took a bunch of smart Ultimate Ears people and said, we're going to reinvent the Bluetooth speaker? Well, you know, I think, I think first of all, it's not just a microphone category, right? And I'm not talking about blue and per se, but, you know, what are all the things that go into, how do you, how do you enable somebody who wants to put it up, put themselves out there and create content for other people? How do you enable, enable them to be successful? Maybe even to make a living doing it. First of all, they need a microphone, they need a camera, and they're, they need other things. Some of them are, some are virtual, some are physical. So, so that's the way we think about that whole space. It's not just about blue. It's about, gosh, is there a, that's, a, that's a big, broad space out there. We're not going to play in every area, but we're going to play in the areas that make sense for us. But it's a big space. There are hundreds of millions of people and, and probably billions of people doing it. And that's the kind of place Logitech can play. So, I mean, that to me comes, you know, I'm so interested in this. We have an entire team that just covers creators and the tools creators use uh, and the platforms and, you know, the relationship to platforms. But what strikes me is there's the first wave of being a creator. You know, you're going to make a YouTube video using your phone. Then there's a second wave, which is I want a slightly better microphone. Maybe I want a slightly better camera. And then there's a third wave, which is like now now I'm a business. Like I personally am a business. I need a bunch of pro equipment. Where do you where do you see your boundary? Where where's the edge of what you won't do? Uh, none of that. I don't see a boundary around that. I mean, I think all of that is fair game for us. I think, you know, now how effectively we play in each of those is a different question. But you know, we're really intrigued by all those areas. You know, the I, I love it. You know, there's a there's a guy named Fabian Tausch who's a, a young entrepreneur in Germany who has a blog a, a video blog that he does, and he interviews me and. Or he's interviewed me a couple of times, and, and you know he's a great example. You know he's he's just getting to the point where he's making a living doing this, and so he's he stepped up his microphone, he stepped up everything. He's more mobile. He's doing, you know. So I love him. And then we've talked. We we obviously talk to people who are you know have you know hundreds of thousands, millions of followers, all the way down to somebody who's got you know like my kids who who might have five hundred or a thousand. And we want to we want to be. I believe there's an opportunity for us to help all those people. Uh, to get their content out there and to make it better and make them feel better about what they're doing with it. But I don't see Logitech making a bunch of accessories for like the Sony A7S camera that all the pro YouTubers use, right? Like that doesn't yeah. seem like a big enough market for y'all. I think you're right about that. I think we're not going to go really, really, really high end. We're talking at, you know, where you're selling hundreds or even thousands. We're going to go or low thousands. You know, we're going to go bigger than that, more volume than that. So when you think about the gamer, and I think this is a, a big market for you, you that you're growing into. Yeah. You've got really high end gaming peripherals, which I'm curious about the challenges of engineering those because that seems like a place where hardcore hardware engineering is still valued, which are some of my favorite places. And then you're saying, okay, well, you're doing that. You're streaming on Twitch. Buy a Logitech webcam. Buy a blue microphone. Buy one of our headsets. We've completely outfitted you. And that's kind of your holistic strategy for all, all these categories? Yeah, I think that's where we are now. And I think, you know, the, to be able to do that, you got to be able to say, and each one of those is the best in its class. So right now, I'd say each of those products needs to be the best in its class. It's not about how well they work together, at least not yet. It's about it's each one of those. You know, you talked about our, our, our wireless mice for gaming. You know, we have the best wireless mice in gaming, period. I mean, I'll say it here. And 
uh, you know, and why do we? It's not because, you know, we, we hired uh, somebody great yesterday. It's because we've been doing wirelessness in the PC peripheral space for for 25 years. So we, we've been doing this a very long time. You know, we're working, we've been working on protocols across all that, getting battery, uh, getting power management to the point where it's really an exact science and getting the most out of every click and in between click that you possibly can. This is really what we do. So, so that is, uh, that's a competitive advantage for us. So when you think about what, I mean, are you a gamer? You play a lot of games? I don't, you know, my kids do. So I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm the best example. Somebody can talk a good game, but doesn't play it. I play basketball. <laughs> so when you think about where you need to spend your R&D dollars for the next generation of Logitech G keyboards or whatever, where's the big competitive advantage? What, what can you do that your competitors can't do there? Yeah, I think we think think first of all across all three of the categories, we just have a lot of experience. We do have a lot of talented people. So, I think our our real competitive advantage is is in our people and in our know how. You know, we've been working on keyboards for you know, so literally we launched our first keyboard in nineteen eighty. I'm sorry, nineteen ninety eight. So we've been in keyboards for quite a long time, and we have a lot of knowledge of switches and. And the lighting that goes into a keyboard, and the, and the especially the power management that goes into a wireless keyboard, the protocols that enable uh, zero lag or almost zero lag. So those are really where our advantages are. And there's a lot of know-how in that. A lot of people here who are super long-term and, and believe in it. So that's really, I'd say, where our technology advantage is. The rest we're learning. You know, we're never going to stop trying to build uh, capability. And we and the and the categories keep changing. You know, RGB lighting became really big three years ago. Now we're really good at it, but it took a while. You know. When you think about like that, like RGB lighting, right now you got to to get that right. You got to write a driver for the PC. You got to write a driver for the Mac. That's obviously a, a software challenge. I remember in my college years, there was like a raft of shareware drivers. Like independent developers write drivers for the mouse. That seems to have gone away. Like, what's your software investment like to support these additional hardware capabilities? Because you know, on mobile, it does. It's it seems really hard. You got to keep up with the the pace of mobile software updates. On the desktop, it seems very hard in a, in a different way because a lot of those people want their stuff to be as stable as possible and never change. How do you think about managing those kinds of development cycles? Well, you know, I think the, you started with the most important comment, which is, you know, we're no longer just a hardware company. You know, we were always a, I guess if you if you can if you call a firmware a pure software, which, which you know it sort of sits between. We were always in firmware, but I think when I came to the company, I think we had about 59, or we had 59 software engineers, and that would be 59 firmware engineers. So, so we yeah. are really a hardware company. Now, I would say we're hiring more software engineers than, than hardware engineers, and, that's, and that gap is increasing. So there's just more and more software requirement in our products and and we're starting to develop uh you know you know software that you know logitech capture for example which is an editing software for or a capturing software for our webcams is a kind of a pure software play but it's attached to our webcams and and we're i'm sure over time there'll be a point where we have a business that's only in software so we're headed into the software world you know which it's a must, and we'll and we're and we're going to need new alternative business models, and that's coming too. So, Logitech's changing, and we're very different from where we were, you know, five years ago, and we'll be even more different five years from now. When I hear CEOs say alternative business models and software, the only thing I the only thing that means to me is a service subscription, a recurring revenue model. Is that what you're getting at? Yep, absolutely. How do you think that looks? Like, is it? 
I don't know, five bucks a month to make your keyboard light up in 25 more colors than before? Like, <laughs> is it added capability? Like, there's a lot of ways to do it. What, what, what are you thinking about? Well, there's not one answer for that. So I think it depends on the category. And, and it also, I'm, a, I'm super impatient for progress, but very patient for the, for the end game for any of these. So I think we're going to find out. You know, we're experimenting now on things and uh, kind of privately experimenting on things all the time. And we've got, you know, we have practically no recurring revenue in our business today or subscription uh, services. But, but, you know, you'll see us start to come. They'll probably come slowly. But they'll come. You know, when I when I came to Logitech, I went, uh, don't tell anybody, but I went to up and down Silicon Valley and I went to see people, you know, because I was just trying to learn what, what this place is like. And I, I met with a couple of venture capitalists who kind of were very nice, but they said, you know, you're you're doomed <laughs> because we've, we've found hardware and we're going to use our software and we're going to eat your business alive. And, you know, you don't really know how to do this. It'll be a long road. And I walked out kind of a little disillusioned. You know, I thought that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I thought, we're really in trouble, but I don't know what to do. And so we doubled down on hardware. <laughs> and it worked out pretty well. You know, our stock is up 600%, and our profit has gone from that negative 220 to positive 375, 385 this year. So we've done pretty well. But they were right. They were just wrong on the timing. And so we've got to be in that game. So we've been working ever since, bit by bit, on building a capability to do that. And I think you'll see us come out with over time. So I want, I want to push on that a little bit more. It, it, I'm hiding under the table because I'm afraid you're asking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Tell me your exact product roadmap, please. <laughs> no, but I hear I hear you say they're wrong in the timing, right? And what and this is true. When we talk to platform vendors, I'm constantly asking people from Apple or Microsoft or Google, how on earth are you going to support an ecosystem when you are competing in that ecosystem and giving yourself preference for capabilities inside that ecosystem, <laughs> right? I mean, it, yeah. and, and they all have different answers. And, you know, like the iPad has a smart connector and you would, ex and that's an open connector and Apple makes a keyboard for it. And you would expect there's an open hardware connector on the iPad to add the accessory people want the most, right? Which is a keyboard. You would expect there to be 5,000 keyboards for the iPad. There's like three. There's the one Apple makes and there's the two you make. And I, I just see that as no one wants to run up against Apple buying a keyboard. But you guys have the scale, you have the brand to do it. But how are you going to, as you add more software and services to your hardware products, as you compete against the first party products, how are you going to get over those ecosystem walls and present a more compelling offer to consumer and present a more compelling offer to consumers that won't sort of immediately get folded back into the platform by the big vendors? Well, first of all, if you go back to your, your, your example, you know, the, the keyboard for the iPad, you know, there's a, you can use Bluetooth instead of the smart connector, let's, let's say Bluetooth. Bluetooth is broadly available. If you went to CES last year or you go to IFA, which is the equivalent in Europe, you know, the big electronic show, uh, you will see, maybe not this year, but you would have seen a few years ago, you know, hundreds of people making keyboards. And there are probably thousands that weren't there. And maybe there were 10,000 companies that could have. And so it wasn't, it wasn't that it wasn't available. You know, they were out there. But you really have to have the, the technology capability. You've got to really build it. Then you need to be able to bring it to market. And you need to stand behind it. And people have to believe in it. So there are a lot of reasons why, you know, companies kind of struggle to get there. And, you know, we obviously have some of those advantages already. I mean, we're an existing brand. We've been around for almost 40 years. We have a lot of technology capability. And, you know, generally speaking, people trust us if we go into a category that they expect us to be in. So I think that's why we're able to do it. Now, in the, the second part of your question is, you know, well, how do you play in a world where, 
you know, the, the first party companies are making some of these products? It's a great question. We, we generally try to avoid that as much as we can if it looks like it's strategic to them. If it's, a, if it's highly strategic, meaning, and my definition of strategic is their business depends on it and they need, and they need to make money on it uh, or need it for some other reason it's really central, then we generally kind of try to stay out of it unless we feel like we can carve out. I think of it as we like to be in small ponds where we can be the leader. If it looks like a big ocean and there's a, a, a gigantic uh, shark in there, we'll try to find an eddy up there, a little slot, little, little cove that's a differentiated part of the market that needs slightly different needs, and we'll try to be the best at that and be the leader in that. And I think that's what we've done with the keyboard for the iPad. You know, we, we, we offer a different structure than Apple does, and their product is fantastic. Ours is fantastic for a different uh, audience. So when you, it's funny that the way you're talking about it is there's still opportunity in this market. So when you hear people complain about the size of these companies, that they shouldn't be allowed to put their own software in their stores and prioritize it, or uh, you know, on the far end of the scale, we should break up the big tech companies because they're they're destroying the market for consumer tech products. It doesn't sound like you think that's a great strategy. You know, I I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even touch the whole area of regulation and big companies. I, you know, like I said, I, I just remember my GE days where it seemed like. Uh, exactly what you were describing is exactly where we are now. And that was exactly wrong. I mean, I think there were lots of opportunities. You just have to think differently about them and try to find your own uh, place where, you know, you can build something that the big, that, that big company won't, won't try to build for, maybe because the audience is too small for them, it's, but it's the right size for you. And, and w- that's what we do. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Last 20 minutes here. Do you want to get incredibly nerdy with me? I just want to talk to you about various interconnects. Like, Okay. You depend a lot on Bluetooth, right? Yes. Many, many, many of your products rely on Bluetooth. Is Bluetooth any good? I mean, I think Bluetooth's been fantastic. I mean, it's it's been, uh, you know, it's relatively easy for companies to to develop that technology. And for us, it's been quite good. I mean, you're not you're not necessarily going to get the same sound capability as you're going to get with a with other protocols, but it's been very, very good and very accessible. But your own mice and keyboards, right? You ship your own proprietary RF 
uh, transceiver with them. We do. Is Bluetooth ever going to be good enough to support a gaming mask? That's a good question. I mean, it's not as good for us. And we, we, we prefer not to go down that path for gaming. You know, between latency and, and uh, reliable connectivity, it's been better for us not to go there for gaming where the, the stakes are higher for the, the typical user and certainly for the extreme users. So I don't know if Bluetooth will ever be there for gaming. It, you know, the, ga- the users have decided and so far they're not there. Do you think it's there for your, your regular mice and keyboards? Because I don't think you make a straight Bluetooth mouse. I think they all come with a little dongle. That's that's true. Well, the the dongle really gives us advantages, and so we've used the dongle for we've used dongles for a while, and I I, I don't think you'll ever see us go away from something something proprietary like that. I mean, so the the joke among sort of Vergecast listeners is like, Bluetooth will be great next year. Do you think we've <laughs> arrived at a point where it's actually great, or is there is there more that you want to see from the standard? I mean, it's just I, I just looking at your product portfolio. So much of your product portfolio depends on this one open interconnect being great and being supported by most of these platforms. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because in the gaming space, I don't think that's going to go away. I think, is Bluetooth great? Not great for all of our applications, but I think it's great for for so many. You know, we love Bluetooth for Bluetooth speakers, obviously, and and, and it works really well for that. It works really well for, for earphones and headphones and things like that. So we're in a lot of Bluetooth things now, a lot more than I think most people would have imagined here 10 years ago. But probably will never be perfect for everything. And so I don't think it will be uh, something you'll ever see us go completely to. All right. Speaking of, I'm going to stay on nerdy interconnects because very rarely do I get somebody whose business depends on the state of open interconnects. This is like my dream. Um, (laughs) Well, speaking of good for everything, it seems like USB-C is sort of meant to be good for everything. It has been a messy, inconsistent rollout. Logitech has not raced towards USB-C. Nope. Where do you think that status is? Where do you think your head's at on it? Do you think it's going to get better? Yeah, I think it's going to get better. I think we've been we've been relatively slow, you know, and uh, for choicefully slow, I'd say, but we've been relatively slow going into USB-C. We're, you're seeing it arrive now in more and more of our products. I think the rollout will get better and better, and I think it'll be very standardized over the next, you know, three to four years. Three to four? Yeah. I mean, that's to me, that's I mean, the first USB C MacBook came out three to four years ago. What has been rocky about this? Ro- <laughs> yeah. I mean, compared to US- USB A, is I think the it's the most successful power connector in the history of the world, right? And it was an instant adoption of USB A. What has been the holdup with, with C? I don't know, you know, probably because it's just been a fragment of market. There's been so much USB A out there still, you know, and so I think they've, you know, it's like, at what point is the is the seesaw tipping so much over the other way that you just make the jump on everything. And so we've probably been a little slower. I don't think there's anything wrong technically. It's been really good, but I think we've just been slower to go there because there have been so much USB-A still out there on our products, on the, the things we connect to. And so I think you're getting there, though. And, and uh, you know, I, I think, like I said, over the next you know, three or four years, I think there, it'll be virtually everywhere. So it'll be like the only standard. Is that a decision that you as CEO get involved in? You know, you've got your team designing the next blue microphone, and someone's like, "Well, we're just going to put micro USB on it again. <laughs> like, we're just we're just updating the design." And do you do you swing in and say, "Guys, I've made the decision. This is the year we go all in on USB C," or is it product by product or team by team? How does that work? Yeah, we're we're very uh, we run our business small business by small business. I, we I love the fact that 
we have 27 different people, different uh, small teams thinking about what to do. So I don't go in. I rarely go in and legislate a whole bunch of things in the early, very early days. You know, we had fewer categories, and I was I was having two or three product meetings a week. I was much more likely to get directly involved in those things, but it's a lot less now. So those teams are deciding team by team, but we've got great technology people who sit across all those platforms. So when you think about, again, I told you I was going to get nerdy about interconnects, but when you think about, you're good. Uh, when you think about the range of possibilities that USB-C opens up to you, the iPad has a USB-C connector, the Pixel phone has a USB-C connector, Samsung can now turn its phone into a full-fledged computer with decks over USB-C. Are you saying, okay, hey, there's a new realm of product categories here. We got to go chase it. Or are you waiting to see how it develops before you, you, you go after it? We're always chasing new product categories, new, new business opportunities like that. We're not necessarily relating them directly to that connector. I will say, you know, we've always lived this dream of, uh, of I carry my phone around and I, and I plug it in somewhere. And it's my computer, you know, and, and uh, this USB-C connector on a Samsung phone or maybe one day on an iPhone or certainly an iPad enables me to have a computer that's super mobile and, and light and I don't have to duplicate it on my desk. And so we, we, we do believe that's a future state that actually is an advantage for our existing products. So, yeah, I think this is going to open up new things. It's just I do think it's going to come choppily over time. And, and I think you're, we're another three or four years away from having a really widely standardized USB-C world. And then by that time, there'll be another USB-C connector. I mean, that's like the nightmare scenario is we got, we got to total USB-A saturation and then, you know, USB-C is here. We'd all standardized on, on mini USB for, for phones and for other products, most of the products in your, in your portfolio, actually. And it's, okay, C's here, it's going to change it. By the time we, it just seems like that, it, it wasn't planned out well in, in that sense, that this is the connector that's going to last a long time. Do you think... These connectors should last longer than, than they have, or is that just the pace of technology? I sort of think it's the pace of technology. I, I think it's a it's a world that, you know, it's, there are a lot of players. They're operating, they're innovating at different paces. They have pretty strong uh, audiences, and I think people don't move in lockstep. And so that, the negative is you've got this choppy transition happening from a connector standpoint. The positive is you've got a lot of competition, and and that gives you better costs and better innovation and all those things that I think are better. So I think the net of that whole effect is better. But if you focus on the connector part, it's a negative. Speaking of connectors, I'm going to keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm really doing you're, interconnects. You're here. really focused. A lightning, right? Apple's got the lightning connector. It's one of the. It's uh -huh. probably one of the other most successful power connectors in history. Oh, definitely. Yep. That one is really locked down, right? It's MFI. It's on the phone. Yeah. There does not seem to be a huge ecosystem of lightning accessories. What? What keeps you away from making a bunch of wild lightning stuff? You know, I remember when, uh, I remember, I think it was Molex that made the lightning connector initially in, uh, out of Chicago. They, they then sold. And their, their stock price was driven by, you know, what, what, what uh, Apple did, even though I think it was a small percentage of their business. But, you know, so the lightning connector was just a, an incredible innovation and really had, had a monster impact. We have, you know, the lightning connector, like everything, you've got to look at the cost trade-off for making for for using lightning connectors things we do use lightning connector for a lot of things everything apple related of course we need to and we do but we're not in the we're not we don't actually build we don't actually sell the connectors so so there are companies doing that but we don't we made a choice not to do that that's a category we've chosen not to be in for reasons that i probably wouldn't share publicly but we have um, but we we use them where we think it really makes sense which is in most of the apple categories so we need to make the connection but i i mean i look at that ecosystem and i see it's mostly like battery packs, some wacky camera stuff. 
There's not the yeah. range of USB-C ideas out there for Lightning. Maybe there's a, you know, a microphone or two, right? Well, is yeah. there a reason that you don't see that ecosystem developing the same way? That's a good question. You know, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it. We're we're certainly, you know, we're 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 always looking at new categories, and and I don't think we viewed the lightning connector as a as a constraint in that area. We we didn't go into them because we just did, for whatever reason decided it didn't look either big enough for us or profitable enough for us, or, or we could add enough value and make it really different. But it, but there's no it wasn't we weren't limited by the connector. So I may, maybe other people are the same way. Well, I guess that you know there's the there's the physical reality of the connector, which I don't think anybody has ever told me they're limited by. But then there's the business reality of the connector, right? Which is that you have to you have to pay to use it. You got to get approved by Apple. Does that factor into your thinking? You know, every every dollar you know counts. You know, so of course that does factor into our thinking. But generally, you know, the convenience angle on a on a connector related to the to if you're really working with something that totally integrates with with the with an Apple device is so high that, you know, you hate the idea of not having one. I remember years ago when we first uh, did our keyboard covers for the iPad, you know, it'd, it'd be USB, USB-A and, you know, it's just like it drove people crazy. You know, why do I have to use it <laughs> now? Now we don't. So, so I could really relate to that. You know, I think that is a, that was a mistake for the user. And, you know, the question is at what, at what cost? Okay. It, it costs something to do it, but it was worth it. So now we're, we're away from that. So I think a lot about how, basically, in the new world, particularly with mobile, the sort of USB cable has been replaced by you know Wi-Fi and a cloud service, right? So I've got light bulbs at home to turn them on with my phone. Uh, I, I push a button, a wireless signal goes up to a cloud service, and like a, a server at, at the Philips headquarters turns on my light switch for me. It doesn't always work that way, but that's a way that works. That has created. <laughs> Right, I mean, like if you've got HomeKit, it happens locally and so on. But broadly speaking, we've replaced the USB cable with, you know, Wi-Fi and cloud services. That that that's created a sort of massive amount of complexity. It's created a massive amount of privacy issues. Uh, you know, you're sending data to other places, or people are storing it. Yep. How do you think that's shaking out? Do you think the value of that to consumers is is? Cha- it seemed you know you're talking about CS two years ago. I, I went to CS. And that seemed like the most obvious thing in the world to me. Like, this is great. No more cables, Wi-Fi cloud services. We can do it. You can control it from anywhere. A couple of years later, in the sort of post-Facebook honeymoon phase that we're in, hey, I should not maybe have so many cloud services in my life controlling actual hardware in my home. I should not have so many microphones that other people are listening to necessarily. Has that changed your view on what kinds of categories you might go into and what things consumers might be receptive to? Uh, I view this as really a point, uh, like like you always do. You know, it's like a point in time, and it's hard for me to look at today without looking out. And yes, the answer is yes. You know, I think I think you know it's splintering. You know, you've got a lot of people are really uh, really interested in more privacy. You know, there are, I think there are people who are more interested in more privacy to the point where they'd say, God, I really don't want this stuff leaving my home. I don't want this happening on the cloud. I'm okay if it's resident, in, but I'm not comfortable with that. And really, let's face it, there isn't, a, there aren't a lot of options for the kinds of things you talked about that are that are convenient. You know, so so I think I think the security protocols continue to get invested in. The hackers keep hacking, you know, and they keep getting they're they're really good. And so 
it's a cat and mouse game as it's always going to be. And I think that's going to splinter the opportunities. And I think they're going to be people who want stuff in the home and they don't want it to leave the home. And they're going to be other people who are comfortable with, you know, as you said, you know, it's, it's, it's all completely happening on the cloud and stuff's bopping out. And I have two or three or four or 10 different cloud services coming out of my home. Does that have an impact on the choices we'd make about what categories we'd be in? I would say no. It's just a different uh, set of options. We we are super security conscious for uh, you know, for obvious reasons, like everybody is now. We're also super convenience oriented because we realize how much people care about that and how much you know. I don't know about you, but I, I just I'm a I'm a convenience fanatic. You know, I really will will prioritize convenience over a lot of things, but. Not the not the really sensitive security stuff. So so I think you're I think there's just going to be uh, it's going to be messy for a while. And I think looking out, I think it'll probably clear up a little bit. But there will always be the divide among people who really want a lockdown, and people who really don't care as much about that. Well, it's funny because you, you you start out by saying we've we reoriented the company to be a, a cloud peripheral company. That's yep. a that's yep. a big statement. It's obviously gone successfully. You you your numbers show it, but. It, the, our relationship to the cloud, the, the parameters are changing as we think about privacy more directly or we think about you know, how, many, how many companies do I want to have access to my data? How many companies do I want to have a user account with, which sort of comes with data collection necessarily? Has sort of the privacy moment changed your thinking about being a cloud peripheral company? No, I think it's done two things. I think one is we're not we're we're we certainly want to peripheralize things that are whether the whether that computing device is in your home or on a server somewhere. And when I say cloud, that's a that includes the cloud, but also includes a very localized device. So we want to be a we want to be a peripheral company to whatever computing device it is, but certainly including the cloud. Uh, so no, it doesn't really change that. But I but it does. It, what ha, what does change is it makes me think. Gosh, there are more opportunities now that are going to happen. I think there will be, there will be a growing number of things that are probably happening in your home, that we'll be able to peripheralize, and uh, and they won't be leaving. But it won't be look. It won't look too much different for us because, for us, we'll be we'll be connecting to a computing device, whether it's in Arizona, on a server, or it's in your basement somewhere in a closet. Do you think about making more integrated products? I mean, you know, blue microphones, you still got to plug it into a computer, a keyboard, a gaming keyboard, you still got to plug it into a PC. Do you think about ever making things that more directly connect to the internet and cloud services inside the home? Yeah, we do. We have a we have a security camera that connects directly to a cloud service, so it's called Circle. I, I have a Circle. It's great. Watches the baby. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. We announced, actually, we have a Circle version for your baby that's coming with a, with a new diaper from P&G soon, so... So that'll be really interesting. It's coming very soon. I'm sorry. See, that's see, that's the line. I'm happy to watch the baby. I'm not going to put a Wi-Fi chip on the baby. <laughs> like I, that's like okay. very clearly no. my line, right? Like I know where it is. Well, you have to implant a chip into the brain, but if you do that, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that product's not right for you, but surely somebody will want it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another six million dollar baby. Um, but, but anyway, yeah. So we're. Well, we are, yeah. So that that one is a, a, a really an integrated device with, a, as you know, it's got AI built in, a video AI, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Cool. So yeah, we 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 don't view that as off limits at all. We think it'd be really cool, but you know, we don't have to do that to, to have a good business in every area. So the last uh, last question I want to ask is: Virtual listeners know this is a, it's a connector question. It's not a connector question. It's a it's a, well, it's a connectivity <laughs> question. Shoot, it's a philosophical okay. Okay, connection okay. question. There's an explosion in. Smart home stuff. There's an explosion in television streaming services that the sort of TV rack is the last holy grail of the entire tech industry. No one has gotten it right. No one has ever 
developed an integrated product that that works, as far as I can tell. You're right. You have the market leader in that space in Harmony Remotes. What on earth is going on with Harmony Remotes? Well, you know, Harmony is a phenomenal product, as you know, if you want to really simplify a complex living room stack of stuff and and get it down to a single remote and really simplify it. That is what it's, that's what it was originally conceptualized for, and it does that better than, I think, anything else. And we like that it does that. Now, now the future world is changing. It's really, you know, as you know, more and more is going through the internet. You know, you're, you're, you're getting, in a way, it's just as complex, but now you've got all these different streaming services, and which are exciting, you know, but you're getting more and more all the time. And so much of it's uh, coming directly, uh, you know, directly through the internet, and it's, it's moved on. So, you know, I think, I think Harmony has a place to play in that, but I, I also think we, we are not focused on, on trying to figure out how Harmony can solve all that, that problem beyond that. I think that's probably the domain of other people, and we've got lots of opportunities beyond that, but we, we will continue to always take care of the Harmony customer because we believe in you, and we really appreciate you. Is there a long roadmap for Harmony stuff? Is this as big of a business for you as gaming keyboards or uh, Ultimate Era speakers? Is it a small business? Is it does it have a long future? It's a very small business. I mean, it's about you know six percent the size of our keyboard business, for example. So it's a really small business. But the the cool thing about it, and the thing that we appreciate, is that the users of that business love it. I mean, really love it. And you know, it's very it's so rare to have users that love something as much as our a lot of our Harmony users do. That that we you know we'll we'll always take care of them because we really believe in you know that that's part of the responsibility of the brand. So so we do love Harmony for that reason and how long it will be out there I don't know, you know, I think that as the as the living room continues to change as you know there's more and more activity in there. We'll see, you know, but we're certainly we're certainly love the, the user base and the and the commitment they've had to it. Do you think that the sort of streaming war that seems to be coming is going to upend the idea that you need a universal remote? Yeah, I think it's going to reduce the need I really do. I think, you know, over time you'll have fewer and fewer people who feel like they really need that universal remote. The universal remote is solving a different problem than that. Now you kind of need a different, you have a different problem. You have 10 different streaming services and I want to watch Friends, you know, where do I watch it? So it's it's less about uh, different devices and more about different streaming services and how do I how do I get to the one that's either the cheapest or the fastest or the one that I like the most or whatever it is. All right, last, actual last question. My executive editor All right. really wanted me to ask this question. It, at some point in the last couple of years, the Logitech brand got shrunk to just Logi. <laughs> okay. And then it, it kind of, okay. that plan went away and then it's, it's back and it's on some device. Is that the consumer brand? We, I, he's like, I don't understand what Logi is. Just have him explain it to me. <laughs> okay. Well, what, is, what is his name? I'll address him directly. Dieter, Dieter Bone. Oh, Dieter. Okay, Dieter. Here's the answer, Dieter. So we essentially envisioned a world where one day, when you say we're in the tech business, there are a whole bunch of different categories, like including clothing, that will be part of tech. So if you say you're, if you just, if you, if you're thought of as just, you know, uh, Logitech, you're going to sound, might sound a little old fashioned. So what we've decided is we're keeping Logitech as it is, exactly as it is. You go look in a box and any of our products, you'll see it. What we did do though, is we, we dropped the tech and left it to put Logi on our products. First of all, it's fun to have a four letter name on every product and it's shorter. <laughs> Uh, and second, it's it's a it's a lot of people call us Logi today. So so it's it's uh, and on all of our Logitech products except the ones for for offices and things, for or video conferencing, you'll see Logi on there instead of Logitech. But the packages still say Logitech, just like Nike would have a swoosh on their shoes. 
I hope, Dieter, that answered your question. I'm available for calls anytime <laughs> to, to explain that further. <laughs> I mean, the, the, and I, I love that Dieter cared. I mean, it's one of those things where if you're in it every day and you're looking at every company and their branding strategy and how they want to go out to consumers, yep. how they want to be perceived, these are actually like these questions have stakes, and it's really interesting right. to see. I agree. Companies navigate the stakes of what is our brand, and I think the question mark so right. for us is, Logi is uh, it's a very friendly brand, but you make you know high end gaming peripherals. Maybe you don't want those to yep. sound so friendly. You make uh, consumer webcams, you know, the circle. Maybe you don't want. Maybe you yep. want that brand to stand alone. So navigating those questions in a world where people encounter your brand not just in a store, but on Amazon, where it has to stand out amongst probably a lot of clones or uh, against D- DTC uh, consumer companies, that it seems like those stakes are actually getting ever higher. I agree with that, and I, and, and I wasn't I was I was uh, joking a little bit, with, but Dieter and you are right that these branding decisions are more important than ever. It's it's increasingly a reality that people don't even touch or feel your product when they buy it, so they're they're influenced by a picture and and your brand. And as you enter more categories, the ability to make sure your brand works in those categories is really critical. So we do take that really seriously. We rebranded our whole business about four years ago, and this is when we make this, made this decision. We also changed a lot of the color scheme and things. And it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. All right. So what is next for Logi and Logitech? What's the next thing we should be looking out for? Okay. So we're really focused on three big areas, and then we're working on these little seed projects and a whole bunch of other ones. The old PC peripherals business is alive and, and going really well because of the explosion, the democratization of people creating their own content. So that's cool. The second one is gaming. You know, we're the leader in, the, in esports in the, in the gaming space, and we're just pouring it on there. And the third one that a lot of people don't even know about is the fact that we we video enables conference rooms all over the world now, and that's such a big market. It's so exciting. All three of those are billion dollar plus businesses, either in reality or in potential. So, so those three are big, and then we're going to create secretly all the time new stuff. Awesome. Well, Brack and Daryl, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure to be on here. I've never had so many connect- questions about connectors in my career. Well, that's what we're here for. <laughs> of course it is. It was, it was fun. All right. My thanks to Brack and Daryl, CEO of Logitech. That was a great conversation. We'll be back later this week with the chat show. Next Tuesday, another big interview coming up. Casey Newton and I sat down with Kayvon Bakepour, who's the head of product at Twitter. We got into it. That's coming next Tuesday, but we'll see you on Friday for the chat show. You can talk to me. I'm Matt Reckless. Love your feedback. Let me know. Talk to you soon. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva.